the topic that we're going to be talking about is betrayal. And some of you have really experienced betrayal. And some of you have even maybe betrayed someone. And so the reality is, is last night, the room, the mood was really heavy. Because the reality is, is we're speaking into people's lives as they are going through some of the hardest moments of their life. And betrayal especially sticks to us really deeply. So as I was um, thinking about this, I looked up the greatest betrayals in human history. And I mean, when you start to read these betrayals, like a lot of them have to do with war and things like that. And there's one that came to mind, and it's a, a story that I'm familiar with. The year is around 480 BC, and we enter into the Battle of Thermopylae. This is in Greece as the Persian army is coming into Greece. The ships of the Persian army are actually about to land on the shores of Greece. The Persian army was the largest army in the world at the time, dominant army, technology through the roof, and they would come and decimate, and they were building the Persian empire. Well, they arrived on the shores of Greece to meet a group of 300 men called Spartans. These are the story of 300 and all of this. This all comes from history. Well, if you've watched the movie or read about the story, you know that the Spartans were very successful in holding back the Persian advance because they held this narrow passageway until they were betrayed. There was a man uh, named Ephelades. And Ephelades, um, he, in the movie, is played uh, very differently, but in real life, he was a, a Greek soldier, a person who went to the Persian army and basically said, hey, I know a way around the Spartans. I know a way that we can travel through these mountains and I can show you the way and we can bring an advanced group of military and we can attack the Spartans from the front, but then surprise them and we can overwhelm them. And this guy thought that the reason that he would do this would be because the Persians would take care of him. That he kind of thought that, well, man, we're facing the greatest army the world has ever seen. We're facing it, and it's insurmountable. We got 300 guys who are trying to hold a narrow passageway. This isn't going to last very long, so you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go get mine. And I'm going to go, and I'm going to go sell out my country and betray them. Now, it doesn't work out well for this guy. He actually ends up getting nothing from the Persians. They used him. And then he's assassinated by the Greeks. They find out what he did, and they go after him. And betrayal always ends in some kind of death. Physical, spiritual, emotional, relational, financial, start to name it. Betrayal is a death kind of bringer in our lives. And for some of us, there's parts of our life that we've experienced betrayal, and maybe you can't relate to this story and you're not a historian, but maybe you can relate to someone at church betraying you. Maybe you confided in them about some things that you're going through personally and you're struggling with, and then you find out that half the church knows about the thing that you're struggling with. Because, you know, we all know that prayer circles sometimes become gossip circles. We just put like a, hey, God, and amen at the end of our gossip. I don't think God's hearing those prayers. Right? Or, or maybe you <clears throat> needed something and you needed help and you asked the church leader to help out and 
They made promises to you and they said that they were going to do all of these things and then they just didn't follow through and now you're kind of left holding the ball and you feel betrayed or maybe a spouse cheated on you, whether physically or emotionally. Maybe your kids betrayed you. Maybe your boss or your business partner said they were going to do something. You found out they've been funneling money out of the business. We've all experienced betrayal, whether in church or outside of it. And the reality is, is that betrayal has devastating effects on our lives, especially when it happens from within the church. Especially when it's this this group of godly people who are supposed to be there for you and who you're supposed to be there for. And when that betrayal hits, it's like part of you dies with it. And part of you can't, it's hard to get over betrayal. It's hard to get over these ideas. And we're going to get into why today. And so today what we're going to look at is if you study the life of Jesus and you read the gospels, Jesus experiences a ton of betrayal. He is betrayed by his own people. He is betrayed by the government that is of the time. He is betrayed by his own disciples and his closest friends. But the reality is, is the way that Jesus experienced betrayal never stopped Jesus from doing what he was called to do. All of the betrayal, all of the kind of hindrances put in Jesus's way by actually being betrayed by the people he was coming to save never stopped Jesus. And we can write it off and go, oh, well, that's Jesus and I'm not Jesus. So I'm going to be stopped. But he wasn't. But Do you believe that the same God who died on the cross sent his spirit to live within you and that spirit can empower you and that spirit can give you life and that spirit can help you get through the same things and get through betrayal just like Jesus did? And so today, what we're going to look at is how betrayal happens. And and here's why I think this is important. A lot of us in this room, when we are betrayed, take it on personally. I know that it personally hurts, but we kind of make it our fault And what we're going to see is the heart of betrayal is when the person is really about them more than they are about you. You're just part of the process to get them where they want to be. And so today, what we're going to look at is we're going to start with two of the most famous betrayals of Jesus in the New Testament. We're going to look at Peter, because Peter denies Jesus three times. And we're also going to look at the most famous guy, Judas. And we're going to talk about Judas and what happened to him. But here's kind of the idea behind betrayal that can help us maybe start on the road to freedom and forgiveness and joy again, is that betrayal, even though it affects you, it really doesn't have much to do with you. Why? Because betrayal at its essence is self-centered. Let me open our minds to the scriptures in Luke 22 as we take a look at the mindset behind some of the disciples. So context here. Jesus is getting ready to die. They are at the Last Supper. This is the last meal that the disciples are going to celebrate and have together. And Jesus begins to open the mind of the disciples and basically tells them, I'm going to die. This bread represents my body, which is broken for you. This wine represents my blood, which will be spilt for you. And he starts to open up to them about what is going to happen. And as soon as he does this, Jesus says, look. There's one of you who's going to betray me. There's one of you who is going to to kind of sell me off to the Romans and to the Jewish leaders. And so you go do what you need to do. The disciples are so self-centered, they don't even notice who leaves the room. They start having an argument. 
And they start wondering, the Bible says that they start wondering who amongst them will betray Jesus, but the conversation quickly shifts from Jesus to them. Look at what the Bible says, Luke 22, starting in verse 24. A dispute also uh, rose among them to which of them was to be considered the greatest. So Jesus just tells them, I'm going to die and be betrayed by one of you. And their argument now is, well, who's the best? Which one of us is best? Which one of us is going to be most important to you? Because, yeah, we may not be the worst, but who's going to sit at your right hand and who's going to have all this privilege? And so they begin to argue about this. And Jesus uses this time to teach them about, excuse me, a greater lesson. Jesus said to them, the kings of the Gentiles lorded over them. He's saying, you guys, why do you want to be the greatest? Because you want people to bow down to you. You want people to serve you. He says, that's what the Gentile kings do. You need to understand when you say you want to be the greatest, what that really means in the economy of God. This is what he says. And those who exercise authority over them call themselves benefactors. But you are not like that. Instead, the greatest among you should be like the youngest. The one who rules like the one who serves. For who is greater, the one who serves at the table or the one, or the one who sits at the table or the one who serves? Is it not the one who is at the table? But I am among you as the one who serves. Jesus says, look, I, I'm modeling this for you. You are those who have stood by me in my trials, and I confer on you a kingdom, just as my father conferred one on me, so that you may eat and drink at the table in the kingdom and sit on thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. Now, Simon begins to, he can kind of tell what's going on in Simon's heart, because Simon asks, like, who's going to be the greatest? Simon, Peter, and I want you to notice in these texts, the Bible uses his old name, Simon. Jesus has already given Peter his new name. His name was Simon. He says, your name will now be Petros, which means rock. So the name Peter is literally a transliteration of the Greek word meaning rock. And so what happens is is Luke and others use his old name here. What the text is indicating to us is Simon or Peter is in the old way of thinking. He's not thinking the way that a disciple should. He's thinking differently. And so Jesus says this. And I imagine that when he said Simon and not Peter, this caught his attention. Simon, Simon, whenever words are repeated like that, this means I have something very important to tell you. Listen in. Satan has asked to sift all of you as wheat. But I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. What does Jesus say? You're going to betray me. You're, you are. I'm praying for you. And I'm praying that when you turn back, because Jesus understands all things and knows all things, he knows that this failure that Peter is going to experience is not final. Some of you need to hear that. The betrayal that you've experienced or the betrayal that you've committed is not final. And that you'll turn back to me. So here is um, Simon's reply. But he replied, Lord, I'm ready to go with you to prison and to death. Sounds a little self-centered and a self-assured. Jesus answered, I tell you, Peter, notice he shifts his name there. Before the rooster crows today, you will deny three times that you know me. Three times. I want you to notice the heart that's taking place in Peter and the other disciples. Jesus just goes, I'm going to die. I'm going to be betrayed. And their next question is, okay, 
It sounds like we're running out of time. So who's the best? Who, who's better? Simon, that's the old way of thinking. The best of you will be the least of you, will be the servant, not the one who sits at the table. You, I don't know if, know if you're understanding the kingdom that I'm building, but I'm going to show you. I'm going to serve everybody in the ultimate way by dying a death on a cross. But at the heart of self-centeredness is betrayal because betrayal comes from people who are focused on themselves rather than others. You are just a means to what they want. And that's what we see here. Peter is more worried about what he's going to get than what is happening to Jesus. And let me just tell you something. Here's a way to to identify a self-centered person and possibly a person who may betray you in the future. If you tell them horrible news about what is about to happen to you and their only response is how it's going to affect them, this may be a person who's not there for your best interest. It's like this, I'm about to go bankrupt, but wait, you owe me a hundred bucks. What? You better give me that money before the bank takes it all. Not your friend. They're probably the one who sold you out to the bank. I'm just kidding. Because at the heart of it, we're going to look at Peter and now uh, Judas. It's at the heart of betrayal is self-centeredness. And here's where it really comes out. Betrayal is about self-preservation. This can help us in this room a little bit in this way. When I tell you that the, the betrayal that you've experienced and that the betrayal that maybe you've, you know, produced yourself, but more so what you've experienced is it really didn't have anything to do with you. You were just the person in the wrong place at the wrong time for what they needed. You were just kind of, the thought wasn't about you unless someone is really malicious. That's called revenge. And so what happens here is Peter is going to have a problem. We're, We're in hours, within hours of Jesus having dinner with the disciples and telling them what's going to happen and telling Peter, hey, just so you know, before the day's over, you're gonna deny me three times. I think I'd be super vigilant. I'd be like, no, I'm not. I just told you I was going to go to jail or die with you. I'm not going to betray you. There's no way. That's the opposite of how I feel inside. But let me just tell you something. When you're self-centered, self-preservation comes around really quickly. And who you want to be and who you are is shown very quickly. Luke 22, verse 54. Then seizing him, this is Jesus, they led him away and took him into the house of the high priest. If you ever come with us to Israel, we'll take you to this house. We know, without a shadow of a doubt, where Caiaphas lived. We see and know that underneath Caiaphas' house are jail cells. We will visit them. We will go down into those jail cells, and we will sing hymns. So I've, this is, I've been in the room. Peter followed at a distance. And when some there had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and had sat down together, Peter sat down with them. A servant girl saw him seated there in the firelight. She looked closely at him and said, this man was with him. This man was with Jesus, but he denied it. Woman, I don't know him, he said. A little later, someone else saw him and said, you are also one of them. Man, I am not, Peter replied. 
About an hour later, another asserted, certainly this fellow was with him, for he is a Galilean. Peter replied, man, I do not know what you are talking about. Just as he was speaking, the rooster crowed. The Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. Now, for a lot of us in this room, we probably think that that's a a glare. I think it's eyes of compassion. And here's why. Jesus just said, I've been praying for you. I know what this is going to do to you. I know that you're going to feel this intense need of self-preservation. And when you betray me, things are going to get worse for you. And I've been praying for you. In fact, in the garden, as Jesus is praying, Peter keeps falling asleep and the others keep falling asleep. And he goes to Peter, Peter, you need to be praying for what's coming. This, this, could, this is going to hurt. And so the Lord looks at Peter right as the rooster crows after the third denial. And not as a, I told you so, but I really truly believe out of a heart of compassion. Why? Because if it was like a, I told you so and it was prideful and mean, I think Jesus could have just been like, I'm not doing this. Could have just left. But he chooses to stay right where he is. <clears throat> then Peter remembered the word of the Lord, what the Lord of the word had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows today, you will disown me three times. And the Bible says, and he went out and he wept bitterly. Wept deeply. This is deep, deep sorrow and regret. But I want you to notice what happened to Peter. Peter is in a moment where he's seen his Savior taken. If you know the story, Peter just cut a dude's ear off. Jesus healed it, though, okay? <clears throat> and then he is watching Jesus be tried at a night trial, which is illegal, by the way. And he's watching all of this happen, and a great fear rises up in him. And then people start saying, well, you were with him, and you were with him, and you. And no, 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 because he didn't want to be in the same position. And so here's, we, ha- we say this a lot here. It's understandable, not excusable. I think what Peter did is totally understandable. I mean, can't we not be human for a second and put our place in this moment where you just saw the person you've been following snatched up, basically kidnapped in the middle of the night, taken away by the greatest army the world has ever seen at the time, to be tried in a secret trial? That's scary. That's what a lot of our conspiracy theories are built around. And so what happens is three times in this moment, Peter denies him. And what does that mean? The three in that moment is not just a random number. Three is the number of perfection, right? As, uh, what three means is completion or perfection. So here's what the text is telling us. Peter fully, completely, wholly, and perfectly betrayed Jesus. He was Complete and final. In fact, a lot of us, like, we're going to get into a Revelation series in the next months to come. And one of the things we're going to talk about is the number 666. Well, seven is the number of perfection. Three is the number of completion. Six is one less than seven. So this is what it means. The beast will be perfectly incomplete. He'll be perfectly incomplete. He'll be perfectly the antithesis of God's perfection. It's the warning for us in those passages. And so the same thing happens here that fear was at the basis of Peter's betrayal. And so it's understandable. It's just not excusable. I get it, man. I get it. But it doesn't excuse the behavior. We live in a society where we say if it's understandable, anything is doable. Oh, I understand where you're coming from. No big deal. 
No, there are some things that are completely understandable to us as humans that are completely inexcusable. And so what happens is, is Peter then is about self-preservation. But then we also see that betrayal, when it's about self-centeredness, is not just about preservation. It's about advancement. Let's go a little bit earlier in the Gospel of Luke and take a look at Judas. Luke 22, verse 1. Now the festival of unleavened bread called the Passover was approaching. I wish that I could connect all the dots for us of why it's so important that Jesus is called the Lamb of God and this is Passover and what it's celebrating and how it's celebrating it. I can't go into it today. And the chief priests and the teachers of the law were looking for some way to get rid of Jesus. They're sick of him. For they were afraid of the people. It was about power and preservation for them. Then Satan entered Judas called Iscariot, one of the twelve. And Judas went to the chief priests and the officers of the temple guard and discussed with them how they might betray Jesus. Verse 5, they were delighted. Judas was going to help them get rid of a problem and agreed to give him money. He consented and watched for an opportunity to hand Jesus over to them when no crowd was present. This is the reason for the night trial. They didn't want an uproar. Jesus was changing things. We'll see later that Judas betrays Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. This is a fulfillment of a prophecy in the Old Testament. But what happens here is Judas is looking for self-advancement. Now, the text doesn't say this, but we're going to do a little bit of study on Judas because we need to understand what's happening. Judas comes from this place within the disciples that he managed a lot of the money. He did. He had his hands on money. And one of the stories of the New Testament is, is Jesus is sitting down at a table and a woman comes in and she has an alabaster jar full of perfume. And she breaks the jar And she anoints Jesus' head and feet with this fermented, sweet-smelling oil. And Judas says, hey, why did you do that? Do you know how much money that's worth? And then he wholly rolls the moment, right, like some of us do in church. He goes, this is why some of you are hurt, because you bought a Mercedes, and someone's like, you bought a Mercedes? You could help so many poor people with that money. And it's like, uh, yeah, I am helping poor people, but it's okay for me to have this as well. And so what happens is Judas says, we could have helped a lot of poor people if we just would have sold that and not wasted it on Jesus' feet and head. And Jesus stops Judas right there and says, do not take away from what she's doing. She's recognizing me for who I am, and you're not. So we see within Judas this idea of advancement, this idea of money is kind of controlling Judas a little bit, and I think that's exactly what happens here. Judas sees an opportunity, knows that the Jewish leaders want to get rid of him, and so he is the guy who leads people on the mountain to the backside of the army and betrays Jesus. This is the way. I'll set it up for you. You know, even the phrase, uh, you were betrayed by a kiss, happens from Judas. Judas kisses Jesus on the cheek when he sees him. He says this, and Jesus says, you betray me with a kiss. You know what's crazy about that kiss? Paige, can you come up here real quick? Um, Here comes Paige. Uh, It's not that kind of kiss. So this is the way the kiss would have gone, okay? This is a, it's three, it's perfect, right? It's three kisses. So what they would do is greet him and go, 
and you'd kiss him on the shoulders. Thanks, Paige. And so what happened? <laughs> all right, there we go. All right. So. <laughs> oh, YouTube. Let's look, knock that down. Okay. So, um, so what those kisses mean is loyalty, friendship, and honesty. And so when you're there, how does Judas perfectly betray Jesus? He gives him the kiss of loyalty, friendship, right? And he, he kisses him three times. And Jesus says, you betray me with a kiss. He says, everything you just did to me is opposite of what's in your heart. And so what happens here is we see that Judas is this guy who's looking for self-advancement. It's about getting ahead. Maybe even he had resentment possibly. But what we see that somewhere in the life of Judas when he was following Jesus, there was a breakdown of trust. There's this breakdown of trust in who Jesus really is and what Jesus is really going to do. And I think we're going to see that Judas is actually repentant. A lot of people ask me, do you think Judas is in hell? I do not think Judas is in hell and I'll tell you why in just a second. Because here's the reality. Betrayal is about self-centeredness, and it shows itself most in self-preservation or self-advancement. But here's what happens when we betray other people. It's this. When we betray others, we betray ourselves in the process. Because I'm just going to be honest with you. I don't, I've never, ever really talked to someone, maybe you have, I have not, where they did something, some kind of betrayal, and they were super proud of it. Yeah, I cheated on my wife with this person, and now I'm married to this person, but I cheated on my wife. No one is like, you know, but hey, it's great. Oh, I, I funneled money out of the business, and I took away from my business partner, and here's why, and this is what I did. And, and yeah, but now I'm, I'm really rich and doing well. What I find most of the time is when people betray others, part of them dies in the process. Part of them is sold off in the process. And let me just show you where this happens. Matthew 27, verses 3 to 5. This is after Judas has betrayed Jesus. When Judas, who had betrayed him, saw that Jesus was condemned, he was seized with remorse. Seized. Anyone in here ever had a memory or a thought or, or you, you think back to something in a catches your breath away. You get like that lightning in your body and maybe you can't eat or you start shaking or you can't breathe. It just hits you all of a sudden when you think about that past event or that thing that happened. Some of you felt that as we started to talk about betrayal today. Judas is seized. It's almost like it took his breath away when he realizes what has happened. And he returned the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and the elders. This is what he says, I have sinned. He said, for I have betrayed innocent blood. I want you to notice how these holy rollers respond. What is that to us? They replied, that's your responsibility. Aren't these guys supposed to be there to help people? Aren't these guys supposed to be there to, to love people and serve people and show them the goodness of who God is? And a person comes in with a repentant spirit, one of great sorrow and remorse for what he has done. And they say, what's that to us? You know why they won't take this money? Because it's blood money now. And they can't even put it into the temple safe. 
It sounds like another bunch of self-centered people because, yes, Judas betrayed Jesus, but the Pharisees and elders betrayed Judas. That's the way betrayal works. Just keeps going and keeps happening. And this is the sad part about it. So Judas threw the money into the temple and left. Don't worry. We're told that they used the money for something else. Then he went away and he hanged himself. Judas had such remorse, such regret, such sorrow for what he had participated in. He couldn't handle it. The sad part of the story is he just needed to wait three days. He just needed to wait three days to see what would happen. But I truly, truly believe that as Judas was around people, he, uh, Jesus, he was deceived by Satan. He was deceived by the enemy. But we see this incredible remorse in Judas's life. We see repentance, true repentance and recognition of who Jesus is and what Jesus is doing. So can I say without a shadow of a doubt that Judas is in heaven? No. But man... It seems like he really does repent. It seems like he really does turn. He is overwhelmed with remorse. And here's the reality. When we betray others, we really betray ourselves. And it's hard to live with that. It's hard to live with that. And Judas really couldn't. See, there's no winning when it comes to betrayal. Because, yeah, you might have all the money you just took, or you might have the new wife, or you might have the new husband, or you might have whatever. But the reality is, is you can't look yourself in the mirror anymore. You can't see yourself anymore. You can't, you can't even think about those things anymore. <clears throat> and so we lose ourselves in the process. And so let me just kind of help us understand something. Those who betrayed you that caused you to lose something in your life also lost something in theirs. There's no winners in betrayal. They lost something. In that same pain that you feel when you think about this, I'm sure that they think about too. And that can move our hearts to a heart of empathy and sympathy. And that's the beginning of healing. That's the beginning of, of this. It doesn't excuse what they did. And just because it's understandable doesn't mean it's excusable. But when it's understandable, then now we can enter into this moment where we can give grace and mercy to other people because the reality is, is it gives us part of ourself, but here's why betrayal hurts so much. And this is kind of the nitty gritty of where it gets. It comes from this lady named Haley Rogers. She has a great article on betrayal, but this is the reality. Betrayal hurts because someone you love chose to hurt you. Okay, anyone ever called like a handyman and they don't show up at the right time? No one in here is devastated for years in their life because the handyman was late. They betrayed you, right? That's true. They said, I'll be there at one. And then they don't show up. And you're like, you betrayed me, right? And so no one in this room, I mean, maybe someone in this room, but probably not. It's not like, I'll never talk to a handyman again. I'll never, I can't. And then you see their name and you're triggered as you go throughout society. It's not what happens. But true betrayal, deep betrayal comes because someone that you love chose to hurt you. Your spouse, your kids, your pastor, your small group leader, your boss, your friend. They're supposed to love you. 
and they love themselves more than they loved you. And you're left holding the wreckage of the betrayal. That's why it hurts so bad. That's why it, it, it sits in our hearts so bad. You're supposed to love me. And you loved you more than you love me. And that hurts. And I can't get over this. And for many of us, we, we start to look at the betrayal that we've experienced in our life. And when we look at the betrayal that we experience in our life, we're trying to figure it out because we don't really realize that those are selfish people on the other side of it. We think that they're still like acting like normal people. I guess they are acting normal. People are pretty selfish. But the reality is, is we start to blame ourselves. Right? Like, oh, I should have done better. I should have known better. I should have said something. I should have seen the signs earlier. I, the reason I was betrayed is because of me. I should have been smarter. And so you try to take on the wounding that someone else put on you and make responsibility for the wounding. You're not responsible for the wounding. You're responsible for the healing, though. So can I give you guys just a quote from this lady, Haley? I talk about her like I know her. I don't know her. <clears throat> Haley, how you doing? All right. She says this. When we think about betrayal, we think it's about us. I want to just say this to everyone. Forgive yourself for the blindness that let others betray you. Sometimes a good heart doesn't see the bad. Forgive yourself. Forgive yourself in this room for allowing yourself to be betrayed, for being blinded. A good heart doesn't always see the bad. It doesn't. And so I want you in this room today to be freed from that. And so you're not responsible for the betrayal that you've experienced, but we are going to have to pick the ball up on the healing process because why would we put our healing in the hands of people who hurt us in the first place? So we don't need an I'm sorry from them to be healed. We don't need them to be repentant, to be healed. It helps, but we don't need that. We don't need that to be healed. In fact, I even think about this moment. God in the garden when Adam and Eve betrayed God by eating the fruit. Does God sit in heaven wounded? Does he like, oh, guys, what does God immediately do? He begins the healing process. He begins to reconcile. He makes great promises of the one who is to come to heal all things. The one who is betrayed here. He begins the process and goes, the healing is not in your hands. It's in mine. And so as we get ready to, to end this morning, here's the reality. Betrayal will leave a mark on your life. It's like a scar. And the great thing about scars is it's twofold. Like these tattoos are technically star, scars that I have, right? I hurt my body <laughs> a lot. And I have these great reminders, right? But you know what else? Like, they're great reminders of first time in Israel, the victory of the Lamb of God over sin and death. The first two letters of Christ's name in Greek, and when they won a great battle, when we fight under the flag of Jesus, we'll never lose. Under this cross are my kids' initials. These are great reminders, but they hurt, right? They hurt a lot. Paige has got a big tattoo. He, hurt, he cried a lot. He called me. And so... <laughs> He's like, Pastor, pray for me. And I was like, I, all right, good luck. Um, <laughs> betrayal leaves a mark. 
But see, the pain of this, I could just talk about how bad these hurt all the time. I could talk about how awful this was. It's not that bad, but I could. But I'm reminded of all the good things that they represent. But my body still was scarred and hurt in the process, was it not? But it's the perspective that I have on that now. So, betrayal will leave a mark on your life. Like you blame yourself all of the time for being foolish. So now you distance yourself from every other relationship in your life. Because you've experienced people who are supposed to love you and chose themselves over you. So you distance yourself from everybody. So you come to church, but you're not really a part of church because, man, I got hurt there one time. You become hyper-focused and, and hyper-resentful and angry. And every situation is like opening the wound all over again. And you lash out greatly and overreact to situations because you're not going to be hurt again. You're always on the lookout for the next betrayal. You're always assuming and assigning the motives of people in the room. You don't trust others. You're jealous. You're jealous of the friendships that they have. You're jealous of the life that they have or the marriage that you see in other marriages or relationships with kids or business, whatever. You're jealous because you want that, but you're not willing to go get it. So you're envious of it. Or you have a low self-esteem. Now, we're not proponents of being prideful people here. But there's a difference between being prideful and then seeing yourself through the, God, the eyes of God as worthy, holy, righteous, and good. Capable of being loved, capable of loving other people. These are the scars that, that enter our life, and so we blind ourselves. This is the worst one, I think. The scar of blindness. We blind ourselves to the betrayal that we're seeing, that we know is going on. And we blind ourselves to it because when we blind ourselves to it and ignore it, then the pain isn't quite there. And so you keep being betrayed. And so the question is this morning is, Jesus experienced all of this. Every person in this room has probably a story of betrayal or a moment that you've experienced betrayal. Jesus experienced all of it. And Hebrews tells us that we have this great high priest who's experienced everything that we have experienced yet did not sin. But that means he's not only sympathetic, he's empathetic. He gets down in the grime and the dirt with us. And so that feeling that you feel right now as you think about that betrayal or the betrayal that you perpetrated, Jesus knows that. Jesus experienced it. And all he did was love us. And all we did was choose us. And we chose us so much that we put them on a cross and we think, well, those Romans and the Jewish leaders of the time, they were terrible. Guys, our sin in this room all of us put him up there. And so he knows. And as sons and daughters of God, we betrayed him. We're not exempt from this, but the love of God is greater. So how is Jesus able to move forward? We're let into this beautiful moment where Jesus meets Peter. In fact, Peter and the other disciples were so devastated for probably their betrayal and all their hopes and dreams dying, that they go back to their old way of life. Anybody in here ever do that? Anybody in here, like, church hurt you, people hurt you, and so instead of, like, pressing into God, you just go back to the old way of things because at least it feels good. And it, it medicates you for a moment, but it doesn't heal you. How was Jesus able to move forward? John 21, verse 15 to 21. Jesus shows up on the seashore. Peter and the others are fishing in a boat. John sees Jesus and goes, that's Jesus. Peter, so desperate, jumps into the water with all his clothes on, 
which he's not wearing like a swimsuit. He's wearing like a tunic, right? He's going to sink, and he swims to Jesus, and they have this meal. What's so important is, is where did Jesus tell Peter that he was going to betray him? Around a table at dinner. Where is Peter restored? At a table after dinner. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus had asked him a third time. But he said, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were young, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death for which Peter, by which Peter would glorify God. And then he said to him, follow me. How does Jesus first call Peter? He meets Peter and says, follow me. God fully restores Peter. There is a perfect denial, perfect betrayal, and there's a perfect restoration. That's why it was three times. Because here's what it indicates. Nothing was left on the table with Jesus when it came to Peter. Jesus fully forgave Peter in the midst of his hurt, in the midst of the pain. And he brings him back to a similar moment to show him, I am the God who is able. And so how does Jesus get through betrayal? He was focused on others and helped them move past the pain. He believed in the greatness of God and what he would accomplish through it. Jesus believed that in the betrayal that he experienced, God had something greater. God was producing something greater. He knew the goodness of his father. And so he didn't always understand necessarily the betrayal and the feelings, but he understood what that would result in. Do some of us in here need to shift our perspective on the betrayal that we've experienced and believe in the greatness of God and what he can do with it? Jesus forgives, but not only does he forgive, he improves. He gets back in the game. He starts to improve Peter's life. He starts to improve others' lives. Why is this so important? I think John 21 says this. We believe in the God of second chances. That's the truth. We believe in the God of second chances. In the hurt that you've given to others by betraying them, we believe in the God of second chances. We believe in perfect restoration. We believe in the holiness of God. We believe in the goodness of God. And we believe in the completion of the cross. But what also is true in this room is some of us are missing out on parts of our life because of the betrayal that we've experienced in our life. And parts of our life are dead and we don't go there. We don't do those things anymore. But we believe in the God of second chances who can restore the hurt, restore the pain, restore what you so believed in. And you can legitimately get around people who love you and that won't choose themselves over you. Because we believe in the God of second chances. And so I don't know where you find yourself in the room today, but we find ourselves probably on one side of the corner or the other. 
And so what do we need to do? We need to be about others more than we are about ourselves. And in the, the process of being about others, we will find healing for ourselves. We need to forgive. Understandable, not excusable. When we forgive people, it doesn't make what they did excusable. But it frees us in the process. We need to trust again. You can use discernment and wisdom and, and, and take it slow, but slow is good. Stopping is not. And maybe some of us in this room, I don't know why this is coming to me. It's not in my notes, but maybe you're in this room and you feel betrayed by God. That you wanted that kid to be born and you haven't been able to. You wanted that family member to be saved and they weren't. You wanted this relationship to work out and be saved and it didn't. And you feel betrayed. What do you need to bring to him today? What questions do you need to ask? What, what thoughts do you need to bring forward? What, what do we need to see in a new way? Because all I know is we believe in love and the God of second chances. And when Jesus faced betrayal, all it did is spur him onto the cross. And somehow, in Jesus' life, betrayal did not become final. But in the midst of great betrayal, he showed us how much he loved us. And maybe that's all you need to hear today. Is that in the midst of great betrayal, in the midst of the worst things, Jesus still loved people so much he got on a cross and died for them. And he died for you. Because our sin in this room was on his shoulders that day. And he still loves you. He still got up there. He still knew everything that you and I would do. And nothing changed what he was going to do. It only spurred him on because he loves you. And maybe you're in this room for the very first time. You need to respond to him. And his goodness. And his grace. And believe in that kind of love. And believe that that kind of love is for you. And when we are believers, that same love now resides in us. And we can love people in the world just like that. And if we do that, church, the world will be changed. It will be changed because of the love of God going out into the world. And so I'm going to pray. And um, I normally go out in the back and hang out with everybody. Um, I'm going to be up here today. Last night I did the same thing. We, I prayed with some people for about an hour yesterday. I'm going to commit to the same thing here today, to pray for you and with you today. And I know that for some of you, I represent betrayal to you because pastors of the past betrayed you. Would you give me a chance to pray with you in this moment? So Lord, today, we're in your hands. We trust and believe in your goodness, in your holiness, and in your righteousness. And God, today, so many of us, the, the wounds are raw of betrayal. We feel it, we, we sense it in our hearts and in our minds. But you were not overwhelmed and you were not overcome. And the same power that was in you is now in us as believers in you. And so God, today, would you show us the way? Would you reveal the truth? Would you speak truth to the lies of our life and the hurt of our life? And may we find freedom in this place today. It happened and it was real and it hurt, but it doesn't have to be our cell for the rest of our life. And so God, today, would you unshackle chains and unlock doors and would you help us walk out in freedom and the life that we live would be the song that we sing of praise to you because of what you've done for us. 
So God, today I pray an anointing and a blessing over every single person here right now. I pray that you give them supernatural forgiveness, supernatural grace, supernatural trust. And I pray that you anoint them for the healing that is ahead. And God, you give them everything that they need. You supply every need and you do everything that they need and you will walk with them through this valley. And so God, we thank you and we love you. We honor you today. In Jesus' name, and everyone said.